This is Jared O'Brien for the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip Christians to give a faithful answer in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. Before we get into today's program, I want to let you know about a very exciting event coming up for Christians Engaging Culture. On the 19th of July, John Woodhouse will be launching a new series called Getting a World That Does Not Get It. It will take place straight after the 5pm service at St. Thomas's. Members of the 8am and 10am congregations are more than welcome to join us from 6.15pm. Or you can join us online as the 5pm live stream will continue into the event after the church service. So please make sure the 19th of July is in your diary and get ready for a very helpful series coming up from the Christians Engaging Culture team. You can check out the CC website for more details about the event. Today's episode of the Christians Engaging Culture podcast features an interview of Rob Smith that Dominic Steele did on his podcast called The Pastor's Heart. It's about the recent controversy around Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling and her essay about transgenderism. Rob Smith is doing a PhD on transgenderism and provides some really helpful comments from a Christian worldview that will help you engage in conversations with people in your life. Also, so you know, Rob Smith will be joining David Robertson for St. Thomas's Cafe Online this coming Monday, the 6th of July, to look at the topic of the cross of Jesus. If you haven't checked out Cafe Online yet, I'd really encourage you to do so and to invite any non-Christian family and friends to either come to the Memorial Hall or tune in online. I'll provide a link to the details in the show notes. But for now, here are Dominic Steele and Rob Smith on The Pastor's Heart. Pastor's Heart and Dominic Steele and thanks for joining us today. We're talking J.K. Rowling, the transgender debate and the Christian response. Rob Smith is with me. Rob, a man of many talents. Uh, he's a theology lecturer at Sydney's Sydney Missionary and Bible College. Uh, he serves with the Ministry Training and Development Department of the Anglican Church in Sydney. We heard from him a few weeks ago on the Pastor's Heart on the whole issue of singing and music. He's one of our most gifted songwriters and serves with me on the Committee for Liberty Christian Ministries and Liberty's aim is to support and love our same-sex attracted friends who want to walk in Christian holiness uh, and to encourage churches to be places uh, where that's able to happen. But in the middle of all that, Rob, you're working on a PhD on the issues surrounding transgender and a lot of your pastoral energy recently has been going into that space. Um, We'll talk the JK Rowling controversy in a moment, but first the pastor's heart and your pastor's heart. And how did you end up in the transgender area? By surprise, um, it really all started when I was working on another project altogether, a broader project on the sexual revolution and and really what gave rise to that and how things had really developed in recent decades. This was back in probably 2013, I think, I was Mm -hmm. doing this work. And uh, there was a moment in my reading research where I became aware that really the whole transgender question was was kind of coming like a freight train down yep. the line, and but nobody was really paying attention to it. We were very focused on the same-sex uh, debate, and particularly uh, with same-sex marriage sort of on the horizon. Uh, so all our thoughts and energies were sort of centred there. But I just had this awareness that the transgender question was really the next thing coming. It was the next wave, as it was. And I thought, right, who's who's working on this? Who's thinking about this? Who's writing on this? 
And apart from one or two things that were out there, you know, there's an article by Oliver O'Donovan, I think back from the 80s, you know, um, there was almost nothing at the time. And uh, so I started just gathering as much material as I could from a variety of sources and quarters, but thinking all along the way, somebody needs to make this their project, mm. not thinking that somebody was going to be me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, in due course, a number of factors came together and I realised, well, this is probably something I need to... Having picked up this ball, I need to keep running with it mm. and try and get as much help and clarity, or get clarity so I can give as much help as possible. Mm. And obviously you've been reading, researching for a number of years now, but yeah. you've actually been in the space pastorally as well. Certainly, yes, uh, with a family member in our extended family uh, and with a number of um, well, a number of people who I've known um, over years as well as uh, other people who've who've sought me out or introduced themselves or been introduced. Uh, so yeah, there's a, a range of pastoral contacts um, that both Claire and I have had uh, in this whole space. Mm. Yeah. And in Liberty Ministries, we're getting an increasing number of calls from both um, people, uh, family members and church leaders who are attempting to navigate these issues mm. pastorally. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's come to the J.K. Rowling controversy yes. because it's just erupted this last yeah. week or so. Yeah. But it actually first came to light in... Uh, well, really, J.K. Rowling walked into controversy in November, December last year, um, and a woman, uh, Maya Forstater, mm -hmm. she wrote in a private message to a co-worker, mm. I don't think people should be compelled to play along with the literal delusions like trans women are women. And she then was, I think, sacked. Or, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. J.K. Rowling uh, wrote a tweet in yes. support of Maya. I'll just read that one. Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you. Live your best life in peace and security. But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. Hashtag I stand with Maya. Sex is real. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah. Yes, well, that was really the, the, the issue at the centre of the controversy over Mayor Forstater's sacking because she then protested her sacking and the thing went to a tribunal and, uh, and her case was that she had simply stated that sex is determined by biology um, and uh, the judge deemed that this was not the case uh, and that her her statement was therefore transphobic and so that's what uh, yeah, Rowling was responding to this and saying well actually I agree with Mayor Forstater and I stand with her as many others had too uh, but this yeah this provoked enormous uh, backlash upon JK Rowling um, but it really uh, I guess just highlights a debate that's been going on in feminism for about 50 plus years uh, as to as to how we I guess think about what makes a person a male, what makes a person a female. Um, and so uh, right back in the early stages of what we call second wave feminism, uh, a distinction was drawn between sex and gender. Uh, that sex is determined by biology and that gender is really the uh, social manifestation of sex which obviously manifests differently in different cultures at different times and even different individuals. And so that's right there in Simone de Beauvoir. You know, she, she makes the famous statement that one is not born but becomes a woman, uh, which in one sense is a, a totally unproblematic statement. Uh, 
yeah, a little female girl isn't mm. born a woman. Uh, she becomes a woman in a particular time and place and, and so develops a gender that is obviously connected to her sex. And certainly Simone de Beauvoir was not suggesting that gender could be disconnected from sex. Uh, she didn't think that way at all. But that is, of course, what's happened subsequently, is having distinguished gender and sex, people have now disconnected gender from sex. Uh, and so the debate that the whole J.K. Rowling episode really has uh, brought to our attention is this debate uh, within feminism as to whether gender really can be disconnected from sex. Some say yes, some say no. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of Christian leaders engaged with us at the moment. Um, take us to the scriptures. Well, yeah. I guess the, the, the question that is raised by this debate is, well, who's going to settle it for us? Who, mm. yeah, who says? You know, if someone says, no, no, gender is determined by sex, and someone says, no, no, it's not, it's, uh, it's determined by gender identity, which is, of course, the mm. current um, uh, ideology that your gender is determined by your private, subjective gender identity. It just begs the question, well, who, who says? Who says mm. this? Who says that? Who's going to settle this for us? So we do actually need an authority. Mm. Um, we need a transcendent voice to speak into this debate and say, this is how I've made human beings to be. And that's, of course, what we have in Scripture. Uh, and so as Christians, we actually can appeal to uh, the Word of God and say, well, no, clearly God has revealed that he has made humanity uh, in the form of two sexes, male and female, uh, right, right there in Genesis 1. And uh, as the biblical story plays itself out, uh, what we today call gender is just simply, yeah, it's, it's the way in which sex works itself out in terms of roles and relationships as human beings grow and develop. So the, the male and female of Genesis 1 are then identified as the man and woman in Genesis 2, the husband so and the wife in Genesis 2, uh, the mother and father in Genesis 2. Uh, so these things just in scripture go together. Uh, now, the word that's used today is the word cis-normative, which is used as a bit of a weapon word um, against people who, I guess, want to say that sex and gender belong together. Um, but in a sense, the Bible is unashamedly cis-normative. It is saying that, yes, God's made us as sexed beings, and our gender is the way that sexed reality expresses itself. Now, if you had somebody who was identifying as a Bible authority person, and they said, yeah, 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 Rob, but <laughs> what would their arguments be against what you've just said? Well, their argument uh, might be as simple as, but in some cultures, men wear skirts. Mm -hmm. uh, and my response would be, yeah, they do. So the way we express gender, or you might even say the way we express sex in the form of gender, yeah, it's going to look different in different cultures. In Scotland, some, some men wear kilts, and yeah. in Pacific Island, some men wear grass skirts. And okay, that's the way that sex has, as it were, expressed itself in that particular cultured gender uh, or gendered form in that particular culture. Um, okay, sure, gender expression is going to differ. Gender conceptions are going to differ. Even gender roles might differ in different cultures. Mm -hmm. But What's grounding everything is sexed reality. And that's what J.K. Rowling is, I guess, affirming, saying that, no, no, uh, a woman, uh, she's effectively quoting a bit of a slogan that's go going around in the UK at the moment, that a woman is an adult human female. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's saying that that's what makes someone a woman, their biology. 
how they express their womanhood, that's, well, that's obviously there's a whole lot of variation there. But what makes a person a woman is their biology. And that's where the trans activists are saying no. Hmm. So the controversy of the last week or so is a new tweet from JK Rowling and then actually a, a, a quite thoughtful essay from her. Very. But the tweet, um, I'll just read it. Uh, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. What's your reaction to that tweet? Uh, well, I personally uh, agree with her, um, but interestingly, uh, there's a number of gays and lesbians also who would agree with her. Uh, and uh, one of, again, part of the controversy in the UK that this is uh, tapping into is that many lesbians are being accused of being transphobic because they won't date uh, trans women, that mm -hmm. is, men who are identifying as women. Um, they only want to, as it were, date other females. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so they're being accused of... People who they would kind of think of genuine yes, women. Yes, real yeah. women, adult human females. Um, and so they're being accused of uh, transphobia. And so this is what she means when she says, if sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. Um, now, in fairness to the trans community, many trans people uh, would agree with that as well. Mm -hmm. So there are divisions even within the trans community on these kinds of questions. Um, many trans people do, do want to say that sex is real. Uh, and their experience is one of mismatch between their subjective gender identity, who they feel themselves to be, and their objective biology. They're not denying that objective biology necessarily. Um, but there's a subset within the trans community who want to go a step further and say, no, my gender is determined by my gender identity. So how I think about myself, feel about myself, that tells me what gender I am. And my gender determines what sex I am. So even though I might have what some people think is a male body, it's actually a female body because my gender is female, mm -hmm. uh, or my gender is feminine, uh, because my gender identity uh, is that of woman. So this is where it gets complicated. So you've got, you've got trans people supporting J.K. Rowling, you've got trans people uh, opposing J.K. Rowling, and in fact, often it's not even trans people so much who are in this debate, but trans activists who uh, often are not themselves trans people. Mm. I mean, one of the things that's clear in reading her essay is that there's been a massive amount of abuse directed at her for... Ferocious. Yeah. Ferocious abuse. Yeah. Um, um, this term TERF, what mm. does that mean? Yeah, yeah TERF uh, is an acronym. Yeah, T-E-R-F. Yeah. It's an acronym. stands for Trans-Exclusionary Radical Feminist. Uh, so Trans-Exclusionary it, It's an expression created by trans activists as, a, again, a bit of a weapon word to, to hit people like J.K. Rowling with. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, it, within feminism there's been this divide between, uh, it gets labelled differently, but trans-feminism or non-trans-feminism uh, or trans-affirming feminism and trans-critical feminism mm -hmm. uh, or trans-inclusive feminism or trans-exclusive or exclusionary feminism. So this is where TERF comes in, trans-exclusionary radical feminism. They put the radical in there as well. Uh, 
I mean, I'm just, just reading her essay here. She says, accusations of turfery have been sufficient to intimidate many people, institutions and organisations I once admired who've cowered before the tactics of the playground. They'll call us transphobic. They'll say, I hate trans people. What next? They'll say, you've got fleas. Well, there you go. She's, She's uh, got the gift of words. Speaking straight there, yeah. <laughs> She's a good author. Knows how to use words. Um, but, yeah, I guess, again, that highlights this very debate. Now, she's taking a side, uh, and I personally agree with the side she's taken, that, that sex is determined by biology. Um, now she makes very clear that she's, she, is, uh, she has a number of trans friends. She's worked very hard to listen to uh, the trans case. She's uh, very sympathetic to a whole range of trans rights and so on. So she's, she's really working overtime to... She's not speaking out of bigotry. No, no. I don't believe so, no, and uh, nor do many trans people. She, she's got the support of many trans people, but there are, the trans activists are really going for her and calling her the most ghastly things. Mm. Another quote, the argument of many current trans activists is if you don't let a gender dysphoric teenager transition, they will kill themselves. Um, you've been researching this space. What's your comment on that? Well, there's, there's no question that, that people who are confused about their gender identity um, uh, can be very, you know, confused and fragile and vulnerable and so need to be treated with great care. Um, but this argument that uh, to question the sort of current narrative that if somebody feels that they are a gender that's in conflict with their sex, to even question that is, is hateful and is pushing them towards suicide, uh, where it's not only not borne out by the facts, but it actually may be the most loving thing you can do for them. Um, because, what, why? Well, because many people go through these, certainly many children and, and adolescents go through periods of confusion about who they are, um, either as, as young children trying to work out who they are, or then as adolescents as, as puberty kicks in and, and all the sex hormones are running around their system, they're trying to figure out which way is up. Uh, they can go through great periods of turmoil and for many people, very, very large percentage of people, in the 80% in fact, according to a number of studies, uh, those things settle down and they reconcile with their biological sex. Um, and so just because a, a young person suddenly says, I don't feel like I'm male, or I don't feel like I'm female, um, it doesn't mean you should just jump on that bandwagon with them and, and say, okay, well, let's get you off the gender clinic and let's get you transitioning. Uh, no, the best advice is to just allow time to, to talk, to watch and wait, to gently guide people, knowing that it's certainly going to make their life a whole lot easier if they can come to grips with and reconcile with their biological sex. Uh, the alternative is a very, very hard road, as those who've travelled it can tell you. Um, and you know, in my view, it's not a, a, a biblical road in the sense that if the person's a Christian person, uh, then the, the path that really is in line with scripture is to embrace the sex that God has given uh, and to wrestle through the difficulties that might, that, that might present. And for some people it does present profound difficulties. It's not, I'm not saying it's a simple thing to do. Um, but the alternative path of transitioning, which is of course being, uh, being pushed very hard at the moment, is also riddled with dangers and complexities, and which is why of course so many people are detransitioning and uh, there's even... Detransitioning? Well, these are people who've taken steps 
down the path of transitioning, sometimes as far as you can go in terms mm. of having full-on surgeries and, and uh, removal of organs and, and then coming to a place of deep and profound regret, realising... I, I thought it was going to make me happy and yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. now here and I'm not happy. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, for some, for many, in fact, there's a kind of honeymoon period where they, initially this seems to have solved all their problems, but then often whatever those problems may be in an individual case, they will re-emerge later on and uh, often bring people to a point where they think I've, I've made a terrible mistake and I need to, need to go back. I'm starting to hear um, just little stories scattered around the place of people um, suing health professionals from who... 10, 15 years ago didn't caution them yeah. and yet it feels like for a health professional to caution at the moment you're standing against the whole political mainstream. Is that yeah. how you're reading it? Yeah, I, look, I, I feel for those in the health professions in the, in the sense that they're, they're caught in the crossfire here. Because society views are likely to change, who knows which way they'll go in 10 years time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so at the moment if they don't affirm transitioning they could get deregistered and yet, if they do affirm it, then they may well be subject to a class action down the track. Um, but I, I guess, you know, you, in the end, you've got to work out what the truth is and what's right. And there's certainly more and more doctors, uh, and there's a, various, there's a GD working group that's uh, formed and various other associations of medicos who are saying, hey, you know, this is highly experimental treatment that is by no means guaranteed to produce good outcomes. Uh, we need to take several steps back and and think this through much, much more carefully. Which sounds like, I mean, for a Christian doctor, it's kind of part of counting the cost of following the Lord yeah. Jesus that you yeah. may have to take some tough stands there. Yeah. But some of the people taking stands would be Christian doctors. I imagine some of the people taking stands on this are not Christian. That's right. That's right. They're, they're doctors, I guess, with a range of uh, philosophical positions. Positions. Uh, but the ones who are committed to looking at the evidence and the statistics are realising, OK, this is, this is not the fix that the activists are telling us it is. One of the surprises um, to me has been to discover that, um, and, and maybe you can give us some of the detail here, on, if you like, the percentage of people who are applying to transition has changed from being mostly in the male-female direction to yeah. now mostly in the female-male direction. Is that yeah. right? I believe so, yeah. Certainly there's, um, you know, in the UK, for example, I think they've like, had like a 4,500% increase in the last five years of adolescents presenting at gender clinics, and the large majority are females uh, who are wanting to transition. I, I don't, can't tell you off the top of my head the exact breakdown of that, but it has flipped. So this was largely a male phenomenon, and now it's largely becoming a female, but adolescent female phenomenon. And that's the kind of, that fits anecdotally with, sorry, that fits with what I'm hearing anecdotally. Do you know, mm. in, in terms of one of our Liberty people was speaking at a youth thing and had a number of women come, teenage women come to talk to them about um, trans feelings and mm. that kind of mm. thing. Uh, and no men at the mm. end of that meeting. Uh, I mean, it's only one youth group, but... Well, that's right, but I guess these things are illustrative of, of a broader trend that I think is identifiable. Um, now, again, there are plenty of young boys and men who are similar, having similar yep. um, questions and confusions. Uh, but all of this raises what some have now called um, rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is um, 
seems to be more a social phenomenon or even a social contagion that is generated by, um, well, exposure to trans ideology, trans narratives, peer group pressure, uh, it, and uh, can come on out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, so a, a young girl who's been happy being a girl, all, all of a sudden, years, well, well, age 15 or say, suddenly, yeah. boom, uh, wants to become a boy, wants to become male. Okay, um, so a pastor rings you up and says, there's a girl in our youth group and the youth leaders have just come and yeah. talked to me about this. What's my pastoral way forward? What do you advise them? Well, firstly, to, to listen and love. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've got to start there and hear this person's story, hear this person's confusion, hear this person's pain. I, I mean, again, youth group leaders are not counsellors and not no. doctors, and so you, know, you obviously need to be aware of what your limitations are in these domains. But uh, just letting people talk and unburden themselves is the place to begin. Um, now, if the person, the young person, is a Christian person, helping them to to begin to engage with what Scripture tells us about being male and female, uh, and the goodness of that, and um, the fact that uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of in in being embodied beings, and being in terms of being sexed beings, and you know, uh, and grappling with some of the cultural thing. I mean, again, there's a lot of cultural forces at work here. Um, either confusing the terrain or in some ways um, uh, you know, demonising the terrain. I, I, I can understand why some girls and some women think, you know, if I can escape being a woman, I'll escape a whole lot of, um, well, you know, cultural ugliness and, and mm. pressure that's put on women and, and uh, misogyny and a whole range of other things. So um, beginning to I guess address some of those concerns. To work out what the person's concerns are. What what is it that makes them not want to be male or not mm. want to be female or or perhaps to believe that they're actually not. You know, trying to get to the bottom of that. But again, a youth leader can only do so much, and you really do need to know how to refer people on to get more particular help and more professional help in these these areas. Mm. Mm. Um. Okay, uh, what scripture passages do you take people to? Well, uh, the beginning of the Bible, as we mentioned earlier, is is the place to start. Not just because beginning at the beginning is a good place to begin, mm. but uh, that really is, I guess, where the foundations are laid for us, uh, and they're foundations that are, as you might say, not not um, unaffected by the fall and the entrance of sin but not changed by that. Okay, so sin, sin doesn't change males into females or change females into males. Sin just makes everything complicated and uh, introduces a whole range of frustrations and uh, temptations and, and weaknesses and vulnerabilities and all the rest of it. But uh, just seeing that no, the, 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 our created nature uh, is something that God has given and uh, the fall doesn't destroy that, but it does help un help us then to understand why it can be challenging mm. to be who God has made us to be, um, and does explain you know, some of the again the temptations we face as well as some of the confusion we experience about who we are and uh, how we think we may want to live, and I guess then listening to the Word of God to to be guided as to you know, what it means to be 
his person, his child, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Um, now, again, there's lots of particular passages you can go to if you, are, you know, ask the question, you know, well, does the Bible ever sort of speak to issues of you know, cross-dressing and so on? The answer is, well, yes, it does. There's certainly uh, one text there in Deuteronomy mm -hmm. yep. 22 uh, that addresses that question and I think is really just, again, a, it's a little bit of a pointer back to the sort of creation theology of Genesis 1 and 2 is saying, no, no, male and female, and therefore males not to dress as a female, the female not to dress as a, mm. a male. Um, so, yeah, we, we don't and you've mess got with that. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, yeah, yeah, there's a variety of passages that just sort of shine like little spotlights on mm. this issue. Um, you know, just saying, no, no, there's nothing to be ashamed of in being male or female, we, but God does want us to be what we are, not to be something we're not. Would you, what about coveting? Do you know, just the me coveting something else that I haven't got, yeah. does that, does, I mean, does the Bible's, if you like, injunctions not to be covetous speak into this debate? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I was talking to a young man who was right into weightlifting and bodybuilding and so on, and he was telling me with some anguish uh, how much he wanted to, you know, have the kind of body of some of the other guys in the gym mm. that he, he uh, admired. And, and there was, he didn't use the word covetousness, but that's what he was describing. And I pointed out to him, which I think helped him, that well, God actually hadn't made his frame like their frame. You know, they're actually, they, these were actually bigger men, bigger mm. boned men with different muscle mass. And I said, look, by all means, become the best you you can be, but you're not going to become him. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so that, uh, well, again, that's a little bit of a parallel to what we're talking about, but obviously there is a coveting thing that comes in for many people. I not only perhaps want to be a better me, but perhaps I don't want to be me at all. I want to be mm -hmm. a different me. I want another body altogether. Uh, I covet the body that God hasn't given me. And in fact, it's the body of the opposite sex. Now, that may not explain everything and certainly might not be the main issue for every person with gender confusion, but it's one of the issues in there that certainly is perhaps a, a big one for some. Mm. How does Matthew 19 and uh, the whole teaching on eunuchs speak into this area? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, well, Jesus there alerts us to the fact that, uh, that there are some people who are made eunuchs by, by others, right? Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps as a punishment or perhaps as a job requirement, you know, if mm -hmm. a man applies to become the eunuch in charge of the king's harem or mm -hmm. something, well, this might be uh, part of the deal, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so some are made eunuchs by men. Uh, but then he says some are eunuchs from birth. And so Jesus is there aware of a distinction that the Jews had long been aware of, uh, that there are some people who are born either without genitalia or, or confused genitalia um, or just with an inability. Or perhaps with just a very low sex drive. Perhaps. I mean, yeah, whether that would um, qualify, qualify I'm, I doubt, but some yeah. obvious inability to, well, reproduce effectively, mm -hmm. okay? Um, now, the thing to know... he says the Bible knows of... Um, uh, in some sense, this difficulty. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, that's right. There are some males who are born with the condition that um, yeah, is often called micropenis, mm -hmm. where yeah, the penis is just not developed. Mm -hmm. um, 
and well, therefore, and or, or, or with undescended testicles or something. And, and, and so there are a range of what today we often call disorders of sex development. And uh, so I, I, I don't think we can know with 100% certainty exactly all the conditions that were were captured in that little expression that Jesus there uses, mm. those are eunuchs from birth, but a range of these things that make people unable to reproduce. Now, the other thing to note is that eunuchs is, is actually a male category. Yeah. Um, okay, so in, in certainly in biblical times and even for much of history, it's, it's not a term that was applied to people who are understood to be or perhaps obviously female. I mean, you get in scripture, of course, you have women unable to conceive and it may well be possible that some of those so-called barren women had themselves an intersex condition that would account for why uh, they were unable to conceive. But again, in scriptural times, there's not that wasn't the technology mm. to diagnose, I guess, the cause of these things. Mm. But that's really, I mean, in all of what you've just said there, you've really been talking about the physical condition exactly. rather than what's going on in the head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So again, we, we need to, well, acknowledge, as scripture acknowledges, that yeah, there, there are some people born with, uh, with a physical condition where, where there's, again, a disorder of sex development or even for a smaller number, a disorder of sex differentiation where it's actually very hard to determine mm. is this person um, male or female. And the doctor I was um, talking to the other day was just making the point to me how incredibly plastic the brain is, you know, and that we can psychologically end up thinking in all sorts of crazy and wrong ways yeah. and we can train our brain to have conscience to think in right ways um, and our brain is much more plastic than our body. Well I think yes I think we're much more aware of this now than perhaps in previous generations yeah. of this whole phenomenon of neuroplasticity uh, and it, that, that fact does come into this uh, discussion. Um, but let me just put a, a step in between. Uh, often the reality of, again, people with uh, disorders of sex development or intersex conditions, as sometimes they're called, uh, is used, um, well, as, almost as a bit of a lever to uh, try and validate the whole transgender ideology, mm -hmm. uh, that you can be a man in a woman's body, uh, for example, and then some say, well, how is that possible? How can I, how can you have a man in a woman's body? Well, that might say, well, that, uh, you've got a male brain and, and then the rest of the body is female. But here's where the neuroplasticity question comes in because I guess all the uh, explorations that have been done to try and discern whether this is possible, are there people with male brains in female bodies or female brains in male bodies? Um, well, not only are the, the studies very inconclusive, but once you then map onto that, this phenomenon of neuroplasticity, you, re you realise okay, this is actually very hard to work out because, um, okay, here's a person who, here's a yeah, person who perhaps has transitioned from male to female, and so now we're looking at their brain and it looks more f like a typical female brain, but is that a result of neuroplasticity, right? Is that chicken or egg kind of thing? So it's enormously difficult to, to make those judgments. Um, but I think the bottom line is if, you know, if, you know, if you've been given a male body and a female body and the brain that goes with it and the brain that actually has helped the rest of the body to develop in a typically male or female fashion, it's a big stretch to say, well, somehow that brain is of a different sex. Mm. It, it, 
when I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a thousand more questions, but we're out of time. <laughs> well, we can, we can do it again if we need to. Do more. Rob Smith has been my guest on The Pastor's Heart. And, uh, it's been great to have you with us, and we'll look forward to your company next week. hope you found that helpful in understanding transgenderism. We are very thankful to Dominic and the Pastor's Heart team for allowing us to republish that episode here. And just a reminder that Rob Smith will be joining David Robertson for Cafe Online this coming Monday the 6th of July. And to keep Sunday the 19th of July clear in your diary for the launch of the next teaching series of Christians Engaging Culture with John Woodhouse. Thank you for listening to the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Until next time, Always remember that Jesus is a far greater saviour than you are a sinner.